Check this podcast episode 16. Today we are interviewing Phil. Phil is my buddy here in Indiana. We work together and Phil is a member of the Peddling Fiction uh, Facebook group and a uh, pretty staunch libertarian. So I'm gonna let Phil introduce himself and uh, tell you how he came around to libertarianism and uh, then we'll go from there. Take it away, Phil. So, yeah, like you said, I'm Phil. Um, I grew up pretty uh, conservative and it was probably around the 2012 Romney election um, where I was in college at a very, very liberal college. Being very conservative was very difficult in that, per, in that chance. But uh, the Romney election, I looked and I was like, there's got to be somebody that actually wants to do something for this country. Because uh, growing up in Indiana, it's very, very conservative. And um, we're really wanting, like, we really just want people, I mean, a lot of people I know, they just want them to leave them alone. And that's kind of where I was, where I really came towards uh, libertarianism was in 2012. And then when I graduated 2014, um, I had heard about Johnson. Um, he wasn't the best, but he was uh, basically a, a screw you vote uh, when I voted for him in 2016. Um, and then from then on, I just kept delving further and further into it, uh, realizing that, man, nobody in the government actually gives a crap about any of us, uh, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, nobody. Uh, they all want to say they do, but for a lot of us people, we just want to, I mean, I mean, at least in my case, I just want to live a simple life where I, you know, do whatever I want and not harm anybody else and just leave me alone. <laughs> it's pretty simple in that case. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I'm glad you touched on that. Because uh, the most irredeeming thing for me with the Republican Party was the the Romney nomination, like in with the uh, with the bailouts and everything at the end of Bush, that really pissed me off and really started, you know, completely turning me off. And then Ron Paul came on and I started seeing him and the McCain, the McCain Palin ticket was horrible. And I really kind of just, I stopped giving a shit about the Republican party at that point. But then at 12, when they came and they nominated Romney, it was just like, there, there's nothing redeemable about the Republican party at this point. Like they picked fucking Mitt Romney and I was done with it. So like, how did you, how did you take all of that? Cause you, like you said, you grew up very conservative or at least for the most part. And uh, just from our conversations in, in person and stuff, I know you have a pretty conservative family. So how, how did that kind of uh, strike you? Um, it, it really like, especially with Romney, whenever I was more realizing um, I was at this time also, I was studying in college. I was studying, uh, I majored in philosophy and religion and then had my minor was in uh, American history. And so in 2012, 2013, I took a multitude of classes that were involving pre, pre-Civil War and American revolutionary history. And the more and more I took, even though it was a very liberal college, the more and more I took out of these classes was man, uh, America's really messed up. Um, and Romney didn't help that situation and nobody was helping that situation. But Romney especially um, was the most milquetoast candidate that you could possibly put up. 
he didn't have a backbone. He didn't want to sit there and actually try and fix the economy. He was just like, oh, yeah, we'll just we'll play along with their games, try and make things move forward. And that'll do nothing. That just it creates more problems for later on and that he didn't have to worry about or nobody was going to have to worry about. And I'm sitting here going, this is not sustainable for anybody. When it came to the bailouts, I mean, I went to college essentially free because I was super poor and my mom worked there. And I was like, I gave up the opportunity to go overseas and study at Harlexton College, which is, I went to UE here in Evansville. And Holixton was like their overseas specialty place where you got to go to England and you could go study abroad in Europe and all this other stuff. And all of my friends went, but I couldn't go over there without taking out 10 to 12, $15,000 into debt. And as someone who don't like, I don't like having debt in general, you know, and I've, I know how the economics works growing up in a conservative family where if you don't have money to pay for something, you don't get it. I mean, funny story. I didn't have a cell phone until I was 16 because my dad said, if you want one, you can pay for it yourself, you know? And along those lines, I think my, my, my conservative upbringing in economics was very helpful. Um, knowing that if, I mean, they're bailing out all these companies that they, they failed. That's what, that's what companies do. Right. But if I was to go and take a loan out and I didn't pay it back, I'd file bankruptcy and I'd lose everything. Why, why not these companies do the same thing? So that was 2012 when all that crap was going down with, you know, everything and Romney didn't want to have any kind of, you know, fixing that system. I was like, man, there's gotta be something better than this. Yeah. And it's, so at the time uh, in 2008, when all that was, was going down, I was working, I'd been out of college for a little over a year and had been employed and had, uh, had my, uh, and I was making really good money. So I had, I had definitely had my fill of watching my tax dollars, uh, or, you know, seeing the number that, uh, went towards taxes on my paycheck every week when I had a really good job and, you know, getting, a getting pretty pissed off about that along the way and then to see where my money was going to bail out these companies that like everything that led up to that point was their own doing and like you said like if i fucked up my own finances like that to that extent for that long i would be the one left holding the bag i'm not getting a government bailout nobody's coming to rescue me if i rack up hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and just because of bad business practices and ignorant uh, borrowing can't pay it back. Uh, and like the, the housing bubble and the recession and everything that kind of led up to that and, and created that whole situation, uh, the companies that were getting bailed out were complicit in all of that. Like they were, mm-hmm. they were contributors to that entire situation and they just got a free pass. Uh, so on that, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on it because uh, that goes into uh, it's cronyism, which is something that I talk about regularly. We don't have actual capitalism. We have cronyism. Oh, yeah. And, and there is no accountability for anybody in either government or, or in the, the private sector uh, to make good decisions. And I know you've got thoughts on that. You want to you wanna take, it, take it over a little bit? Yeah, uh, on the cronyism aspect, I mean, it's, it's basically simple. It's the government is in bed with big business 
and they will continue to keep doing things the way that they're doing um, because that's the only way that they, you know, know how to work. Um, I had a posted a thing about from the Mises caucus or Mises, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, not too long ago about how the government is actually the ones that's screwing over small businesses. And I had multiple people who I know who are on the left who were talking about it. And in, in their explanation, they kept saying, oh, well, you know, it's the big businesses that's screwing everybody over because, you know, they're, they're making money off of this pandemic. And so they're just, you know, doing everything. And I said, well, how are they doing it? And he was like, well, you know, they just, they have so much. And I said, and they have the government force keeping behind them who are forcing, keeping these small businesses from being able to work. I'm like, that, of course they're going to do that. They're businesses, they're out to make profits. They're going to do whatever they can. And a big business is going to come over and be like, hey, you are big government's going to come over and be like, hey, you want us to, you know, help you out on this as long as you kick a little back to us. And they're like, yeah, sure, absolutely. They make more profit. Therefore, we just continue this cycle where the government sleeps with business and the business sleeps with government and it screws everybody who wants to try and make money for themselves out of the whole equation. And big business does not, it, it, I, I'm blown away by the idea that a lot of people who I know at least said that libertarianism would just be um, big businesses running over everybody and, you know, if nobody, you know, will all be enslaved to the big businesses. And I said, we already are enslaved to the big business. And it's because they're sleeping with the government. And if you had libertarianism, if you had a free market where people decided what they wanted instead of the government deciding who can be essential, then that changes the whole direction of everything. It changes the whole equation. That means that businesses that, you know, are smaller, that have better ideas, but they can't stay open because of the government mandates they they aren't they don't get screwed anymore people are smart and even if they aren't smart people can make decisions for themselves i don't have to be everybody's daddy i don't want the government to be my daddy i want to be i, I have my own body autonomy and everything else i can speak for myself and why why do i need to have somebody tell me that oh well this isn't safe or this isn't that isn't safe or all these other things i was like then i'll buy the people who i know are safe or i'll take the risk knowing that maybe it's not safe that's that's up to me. It's on me. Why why do we have to place responsibility on government? Right. And talking about that, uh, you know, not just that the the big businesses are in bed with the government, but also the government then because of that uh, relationship, the government then uses all of their regulations and restrictions and different taxes and everything that basically make it almost impossible for a small business to be sustainable long term like in order to get through all of the all of the regulations and the filings and the taxes and everything like you you almost have to be able to float yourself as a business for like the first five to eight years just to get through all of the government like actively trying to run you into the ground to make sure that you don't have the opportunity to compete like, how many yeah. of these how many of these small businesses that are closing because of COVID, is it not just because the government shut them down for COVID, but it's because of the tax bill that they still have to pay to the government and all the regulations and the filing fees and everything else that the government still imposes on them, even though they're not, the government's not allowing them to do business, but they're still just beating the hell out of them with all yeah. of these regulations. Like it's, it's insane. 
Yeah. I mean, a personal story along the lines of, of government regulations and the issues with it, though it may not have to do with COVID, my brother uh, owns a small business. And before he could take the business over, they made him put, like, tear up the bottom of his building, put in a thousand gallon grease trap instead of the, I think it was a 120 gallon grease trap underneath his business. You know how much grease he creates in a week? Half a gallon. But he had to have this thousand gallon grease trap because that's what the government decided that's what he that's what the city government decided he needed to have to be able to be a restaurant and it was the dumbest thing in the world because he had to go out and spend ten thousand extra dollars to get this stupid little thing fixed when he doesn't even he doesn't use that much grease he makes flat top burgers that's all he does and it doesn't create that much grease because the meat soaks up the burgers and it tastes wonderful right but he doesn't create that much grease and it's so stupid that i mean it may not have been covert related but it's still government regulations city government saying that oh no you have to put this in or else you can't have your restaurant here and he's like I don't even use that much. And Why? it's this is like none of the none of the numbers that they come up with have any foundation in reality. Like it's all just some. It's like what Johnny talks about on the uh, on Penley Fiction with the the two two percent inflation and like all the different <laughs> yeah. the arbitrary numbers that the government comes up with as these uh, like as either these baselines or the expectations or whatever. Like none of them have any. Uh, none of them have any real math behind them. It's just whatever bullshit somebody came up with off the top of their head. Like, Oh yeah, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good number. Like thousand gallon grease trap. Why not? We don't know how much a thousand gallons is. We're all fucking idiots. We didn't, we've never actually worked in a restaurant in our life, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, that's the dumbest thing in the world because again, the 120 gallon one, they've never had a problem with it. The business has been there for over 20 years and they've never had an issue with it at all. But for some reason, for it to change hands between the guy who owns it and my brother, who's worked there for eight years of his life, and now is trying to take it the business over after the guy retires, they have to put this thing in. And it's the dumbest thing in the world. It's so stupid. And I feel bad for my brother more than anybody because, I mean, he's he's an entrepreneur. He's he's taking out the, the loan and he's making the investment into this small business, knowing that he's taking a lot of risk in doing so. And government just keeps getting in his way all on every aspect of it. This COVID-19 stuff hit him real hard before they were like, okay, yeah, you can open up, but you have four tables and that's it. Not like he needs many tables anyway. It's mostly a grab and go kind of place. But he was like, there was, you know, two months where we couldn't have any of our daily lunch specials, which means the, all the meat and all the stuff that we had to make lunches, they all went bad. And, you know, I lost money on that and everything else. And then finally they were like, okay, well you can open up, but most people have to take it out, blah, 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 whatever. He's just like, he's just like, it's so dumb because the place right down the street where, <laughs> you know, they had, I mean, it's right next to a factory and this factory, I mean, it's a great factory. It's good for business here in Evansville, but like they have 10, not tens of thousands, like 5,000 people that go in through there, you know, daily and everything else. And they wear their mask and they do everything else. But it's like 5,000 people in this one factory. And then my brother can barely get 100 people into his store throughout the day because he's limited on people. And it's just, I'm, I'm so fed up with it, even on, on his sake, you know. But like you and I both work at Lowe's. So <laughs> we, we have, it would be a lie to say we have uh, not done well for all of this. I mean, Oh, that's a too, yeah. 
you know, for me personally, I was a, a sales specialist there for several months and I was uh, incentive based with bonuses and stuff because for making sales goals and with everything as crazy as it's been and Lowe's being as busy as it's been, I mean, I racked up on bonuses and stuff, I, you know, as a, as a company, Lowe's is killing it. So, you know, when we get mad about the small businesses being closed and stuff, it's not, you know, it's, it's not uh, because we're being affected by that. I mean, we see the people who are being affected by that. We've, we've been the opposite. We've been very blessed by this whole thing. And without hesitation, I think both of us would willingly say, you know, close down Lowe's and let some of these small businesses have a chance. Like let the people who are failing get at it because we can do other stuff. Like we can figure out ways to make money. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm CDL truck driver. If, if Lowe's closed down or any of these places closed down, I'm one of the most in-demand places where I can just go get a job right off the street. It wouldn't bother me at all. And Lowe's on, on that aspect of it, I think it's, it, it's an unfair market advantage that Lowe's has being deemed an essential business by who? The government. And I just happened to work there, you know, we, nobody could see, foresee COVID or something coming. And so we just happened to be at a place that was deemed an essential business, which again, I can't say anything for, I'm just lucky to be part of it. But other little places, like we have a little store out in Mount Vernon. I mean, he's had to close down and then he finally got the chance to open back up and now he's kind of struggling through it. But I mean, he's getting through it, but barely. He's been hanging on by the skin of his teeth because during that time when everyone was doing their home home projects, he had to close town because he's in the downtown part of Mount Vernon and Lowe's, you know, 20 minutes down the streets could have, you know, hundreds of people in it and not even think twice. Right. I mean, basically with no restriction. I mean, for the yeah. very, very brief amount of time that we were supposed to do head counts at the door and stuff, I... That, <laughs> It, it was short-lived and like we we really have not been impeded in any way and neither has walmart or any of the the big box stores you know and and those are the places that in all honesty could afford to have six months of getting you know told to shut down and and not do this stuff like they've they've got the coffers to withstand that they've got the you know they've got the assets and and everything like we are it, the whole thing is uh, all of the mandates and and restrictions and guidelines and all of that. It's all a farce. Like it's it really just shows how how embed deeply embedded big business is with the government and the way the whole thing has been handled is it's a joke. Mm-hmm. Definitely is. All right. So getting off of uh, COVID and that stuff, what else was it you wanted to talk about? You wanted to talk about some religion stuff since that's what you. Uh, philosophy and religion was your right you're right uh so um as you can see my little flag right behind me um you may not be able to see it clearly but it's the pine, pine tree with this says an appeal to heaven um so as i've also grown in my faith conservative wise um being a conservative starting out with when i was raised southern baptist and i still you know go to church or watch the church services online and um the more and more I keep delving into Christian faith as I have for so long now, and then the more and more I delve into libertarianism, uh, the more and more I see um, how these two actually go hand in hand. 
Um, cause I've been told a lot and a lot of people who are Christians are told that, oh, well, you need to be either, you know, the super conservative Christians who hate everybody and, you know, they just want to see the world burn and blah, 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 or you need to be the super loving Christians who want to give everything away, even they don't have anything to give away. And the more and more I look at it, the more and more I'm like, these guys on, you know, on the right side, they're hating people for things that, that, that they choose to do. Why are, why are we hating people for, for something like that? You know, and on the left side, why are we stealing from people who have to give to the have nots, right? Like Christianity, Jesus wasn't Robin Hood. He didn't steal from the rich to give to the poor. Jesus, he had the rich man come to him. And I, I'm, that parable is the one that sticks in my mind the most. But when he had the rich man come to him, he asked, what might I do, must I do to uh, enter heaven? And he said, go and give away all of your riches. And the breakdown of that is that there wasn't him saying, like, you have to give me all of your riches and I'll give them out to everybody. He said there was a choice that that rich man had to make. And in the end of the story, is sad. Then the rich man holds on to his stuff. But he was very wealthy, even though he kept all the commandments and everything. And uh, that's when he says that it's easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Um, and what he was saying there is, it's like being rich is not the issue. It's what you do with your money. And he didn't force that man to give his money away. He told him to give his money away. And I, I feel like that, like that speaks volumes to libertarianism, especially uh, because a lot of us, I mean, you and myself included, I know, I mean, I give to missionaries and to charities out of the meat, I'm not going to say meager income that I have, but I mean, I don't have a lot of money laying around, but there's the money that I give, I know where it's going. And I know that it's being put towards a good thing. And I give it to the charities and I'd much rather give the money that I have to charities because charities, they'll tell you exactly what they're spending the money on. They'll tell you, like, they'll give you an outline. If you ask them, uh, this is how much this was paid. This is how much this was paid, blah, 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 blah. This is what we spent. This is what we did with it. Government, you go, hey, what are you doing with this? They're like, ah, we spent $1,200 on a cup. You know, the stupid things like that. And so when it comes to the money aspect of it, having private charities run things works so much better than the government. And it has to be a choice in this matter. Now, does that come with its own issues? Absolutely. We understand that there's there's a lot of poorer people in the world. And, you know, maybe these rich people don't want to give their money out. I understand that. But when you take from people, and force people to give into things, claiming it's for society or something else. And then you add, turn around and ask, hey, what happened to my money? Where did it go? And you see that they they spent, what, they waste almost $4 out of every $5 collected by the government or something like that? Like, that's ridiculous. Like, if, if a charity was run that way, people would stop giving money to the charity, but we are forced to keep giving our money to the government because they're the only ones who have what did Ron Paul and uh, Rand or Ron or whichever one called it the, um, they're the only ones who can do it with violence, whatever. Uh, the uh, monopoly on violence. There you go. They have monopoly on violence. So if we don't pay our taxes, they do what? They throw us in jail. They come and arrest us. They do all these other things. I don't give my money to a charity. That charity, you know, dissolves. It, it's just, that's how it works. But the charity shows me what it does. And it says, hey, this is what we're doing in the name of this charity. And I go, well, what do you know? You're doing well. Like, why don't I have 
I have excess in- income, I'll give it to you. And I don't, I think people need to stop using Jesus as their crutch on either side, because I mean, from the conservative side, Jesus didn't, you know, he, he, he went and ate with tax collectors that were deemed bad people. He went and, you know, helped all of these people, the lepers, the, all these outcasts, he went and helped those people. He didn't say to you, no, you're not good enough for me, or no, I don't like you, or the Samaritan man, or, you know, all these different things where, where Jesus was, he interacted specifically with people that were considered bad or not good or whatever you want to call it. And then from the left side, he never told anybody uh, to, to do anything like to, to forcibly have take things from people like um it was always an option it was always an option it was always an option with him it was never like go and do this except you know make disciples of all nations but it was never go and but even that was optional they didn't have to do that they he gave them the choice yeah but again it was one of those things where it's like everything with him came down to making a choice on your own personal faith and your own personal aspect, like experiences in that faith, man, I don't understand why people keep using the name of Jesus to run hard to the right or to run hard to the left and try to take away from people. So from either aspect, from their social life, from their, you know, financial and all that other kind of stuff. So the more I delved into libertarianism with my background in Christianity, more and more I come to um, I think the term they called it was anarcho-Christian. Um, essentially, we have no king but Christ. And so when I tie this all back to this part, which was uh, at the beginning in the Revolutionary War, it was in John Locke's Second Treaties of the Government, and he wrote in 1690, I think. He said he was talking about the, the, um, the colonists and the new people that came to the Americas, and they were talking about how they did not make their appeals to a king. Um, their appeals of, you know, harassment and taxes and all these other things. They did not make their appeals to the king. They are instead trying to make their appeal to heaven, that they are to be free men to live as they choose to live. And so you wrap all that into one and, and there you have it. And so far as my study into Christianity with libertarianism. Uh, so, so I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, there have been different, little memes and uh like posts and stuff that say jesus would have been a socialist well if you really think about it jesus would have been a libertarian because everything was voluntary you were allowed to make your own decision and if you didn't choose what he said that you know was the right way he still loved you nonetheless and that's the way libertarian is libertarianism is like it's a it's a big melting pot of everyone and everything I have met uh, in my uh, getting more active with the Libertarian Party and the different podcasts and all that stuff. I have met a wider array of just random people through all of this than anything else. There are very, very deeply faith-based Christians and there are absolute total atheists. There are straight and you know, straight people and gay people and everything in between. It's like, it is such a, that's something that, uh, that really bothers me and kind of confuses me is 
the Libertarian Party is such a melting pot and the ideals and the principles and the values of libertarianism are so appealing to literally everybody. I don't, I don't understand why more people haven't gotten on with it and said, yes, like looked at it. And, and maybe it's just a lack of messaging. I mean, the duopoly does a pretty good They're job. They're in love of, with power. Uh, go. They're in love with power. When you have the two sides, especially the two sides of the duopoly, one side is going to force their way onto the other side. And that means that I'm the good guy because I'm the more powerful side. When in all essence, it, that, that's all it is, is the power struggle between those two. And libertarianism is going, well, what if we didn't have power on your side or his side? What if it was all on our side together and we each could make our own choices because personal autonomy and everything else. But instead, people argue over the power to control somebody because that's one of the biggest things that people love doing. And we know that from human society is just they want to people want to control people. That's that's all they want to do. And so these two sides are going to continue fighting over keeping each other you know, down or kicking each other and everything else when we're the ones over on this third party saying, well, you're an adult. You can choose for yourself what you want to do. Why don't you take your own power back? That's why I love Spike's um, thing about you are the power is, you know, and it's essentially saying like you, you have your own autonomy. You can make decisions for yourself. And I think, you know, Libertarian Party ran with that. I feel like we'd get a lot more people because that means that, you know, say you want to go live in a socialist communist society where you have your own little commune and you do everything. So be it. You're allowed to do that. Just don't force it on anybody else. Say you want to go live in the middle of Montana where you can, don't have a neighbor that's, you know, the closest neighbor is five and a half miles away and you can piss off your back porch. Go do it. That's what you can do. That, that, that's, that's the thing about libertarianism is, is freedom for all means freedom to do whatever you want to. I have been uh, researching and listening to different opinions and conversations about different levels of anarchism and the talking about the the anso like anarcho socialism is a it's a really uh, interesting and and even further than that anarcho communism they're really interesting concepts I I don't think it's for me but it's like if they could make that kind of thing actually work. Uh, it would be pretty, it'd be pretty cool, but I just, I don't think that's, uh, for me, that's not really my, uh, my cup of tea, but yeah, I mean, and that's with the Libertarian Party, you know, we've, we've got all of those. We've got the hardcore and caps and then the ansoches, the, you know, very, very different schools of thought on everything, but we still all have ultimately if the party could get over all the bickering and infighting and the bullshit, we all have effectively the same goal. And that's to get the government off of our backs and to be able to have uh, a level of self-determination and, and responsibility for our lives and the things that we want to do. And I guess that's, I guess that's the, uh, the downfall of libertarianism is personal accountability and responsibility. Well, yeah, because uh, personal pro- responsibility comes with the price. That means if you mess up, you got to pay for the consequences of it. Um, and too, too many times nowadays, we just want to blame everybody else for our problems instead of taking the personal responsibility on ourselves. I mean, I've made mistakes. Everyone's made mistakes. But you got to pay for those consequences yourself instead of trying to 
put it off on somebody else, you know, and it's just, I, I think that's scary to a lot of people because they don't, they don't know how to, they've been, especially when it comes to where I went to school, uh, I was taught a lot of critical race theory and all these theories involving the systems against you and everything else. And I'm like, man, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me because the government's against you. Like, and the government was the one who created the system, but yet you're trying to use the government to try and make the system more equal when it, in fact, you're making it less equal. Like I, the cognitive dissonance there makes it really hard for me to even understand what they're trying to talk about. But the, the system is corrupt. The system is the problem. So let's make the system bigger and give it more power so that it can fix the problem. Like where's the. Yeah, I, I, I literally it's it's that hard to understand but that's that's how it was that's how it was for me especially in college and I have, that's how it is growing up with some of the people that i know now the thing is is that we can have conversations about those things you want to talk about those things and i i do have conversations very awkward conversations sometimes with people but at least some some people are willing to sit down and talk about that there's some people who aren't willing to sit down and talk about that I think that's the biggest issue that we run into nowadays is that so many people are so hard set in their beliefs that they don't want to even give a budge an inch or even a millimeter, you know, for all you, um, you know, people who do millimeters, um, they don't want to move at all, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's so dumb that to think that you have the right answer on everything. Like there's a lot of things I don't understand but there's a lot of things I do understand. I just, I understand that I want to be left alone and I want you to do things in your life and you can make the choices for yourself. And I don't want to control your life as long as you don't want to control my life. You know, it's simple as that in my, in my opinion. But. I don't think I have a huge listener base uh, that lives in parts of the world that are on the metric system. So you don't have to try to do conversions. Hey, I'm just saying, man, you never know where this thing, these things take off. So I just want to cover all my bases. <laughs> <laughs> well you got anything else you wanted to talk about i can't really think of anything i mean we've covered the two things that i really want to talk about which is cronyism and um specifically i guess christianity when it comes to libertarianism so jesus was an ancap i mean yeah <laughs> uh, it's it's people are going to twist it you know completely separately but i mean not saying that i'm you know a genius on it but I've, I've studied this a lot more than most people have and um i'll tell you right now I'm, he definitely wasn't a socialist um I'm, he may have social ideas where he wanted to you know take care of the poor and everything else but all of that involved people choosing to take care of the poor people choosing to you know better their society instead of people being forced to do all these things because that doesn't help anybody well that's like you can look at early the early Christian church and early Christian communities, and a lot of those were largely supported by wealthy people within those communities. But those people weren't being forced to do that. Like that was it was voluntarism. It was mm -hmm. they made the choice that that was something that they believed in, and that was something that they wanted to see flourish and prosper and to be a part of. And so they dedicated their time they dedicated their money they did they gave their homes like they allowed the church to happen in their own homes and stuff like but the whole thing was not based around 
somebody forcing other people to do it. It was they decided this is what we want to do together and make it work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. All right. I think that's all I got. I was going to talk about Robin Hood too, but we don't have to get into that. Because <laughs> Robin Hood did not actually rob from the rich. He was stealing tax money back. Robin Hood was a libertarian too. Uh, all these, okay. All I mean, good libertarian. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know my Robin Hood as much as I do everything else. You know, you can be forgiven. Yeah. We'll have to add that to your bookshelf. I mean, there's a lot already there. So good luck. <laughs> it's always room on the bookshelf for more. I mean, yeah, I'm going to have a giant bookshelf here shortly. So, I mean, I already got one whole bookshelf full and I'm going to have another like eight by eight bookshelf. So we'll get it on there. No worries. All right. Good deal. Well, that'll be a wrap for today's episode of Fact Check This Podcast. Uh, be sure to join me next time. I'm not sure who I'm going to be interviewing again or next. It'll probably be a solo episode later in the week with me just talking about some random shit. I think we need to get Phil and Giles together and let them talk about the Bible. That'll be a fun conversation. In the meantime, everybody have a good week. Phil, say bye. Bye.